Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This episode of Screen Talk is presented by Feels Good Man. For your consideration for best documentary feature. Can you believe a doc about Pepe the Frog has three Critics' Choice nominations, two Cinema Eye nominations, and was the second most pirated movie of the year? A New York Times critic's pick, Ben Kenningsberg calls the movie a vertiginous, head-slapping examination of the tangible, unpredictable consequences of making art. Polygon calls it the most urgent and poignant political documentary of the year. As the internet and social media continue to warp consensus reality, Feels Good Man offers a vivid, moving portrait of one artist's fight to take his creation back from the darkness. Feels Good Man is now available on demand or in the Academy screening room. Welcome to Screen Talk, New Wars Weekly Movie Podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the executive editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And we continue to be in that weird new world of 2021 where talking about movies can seem awfully small relative to things that are going on in the world. How are you hanging in there? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, uh, you know, one foot in front of the other. Very busy. That's lucky. I feel happily distracted, you know, in a good way. I agree. I mean, it's almost and never like, a dull moment, really. I mean, it's like, okay, <laughs> like today, I mean, Nomadland is going to go to Hulu. I mean, we were waiting for this. It's not a surprise, but it's still uh, a sign of the new order. Yeah, I was gonna say it's almost like our work gives us an excuse to be distracted by some of the bigger, crazier things happening in the world, because it's a pretty good excuse. There's a lot of stuff happening in terms of award season in the film industry that uh, seems to indicate we'll have much to do in the year ahead. And, and that's encouraging because as much as, you know, with the election, the, the capital riots that happened last week, the inauguration around the corner, it feels like America is going through this reckoning. So is the film industry. And so it's very much, I think, valid to be invested in this work that we do. It doesn't, to me, feel like they're sort of competing in that respect. It's just one piece of this larger pie. Yeah, we're all adapting to our, our changing uh, circumstances. Um, you know, there's really conflicting stats in Los Angeles, for example. Parts of California are kind of coming out of this COVID surge a little bit, leveling a little bit. And yet where I live in LA County, it's still pretty dire as yeah. far as hospitals go, but it feels like we're getting there. Yeah. And then, and they're, oh, they're loosening up the vaccination protocols like they are everywhere else. Well, you don't have to worry about going to Sundance this week. That's, that's for sure. Or next week as it were. Just oh, but we did get our little instructional uh, session we, where yeah. we learned. We're already in Sundance how, mode. How lucky we are to be all access holders. <laughs> exactly. And also to be able to experience the festival to the extent that we can, honestly. I mean, the, the lineup's there. It seems like there's a lot going on. We'll certainly have a strong presence. And so it, there's going to be plenty to discuss in the next two weeks, that I think, tied to films that are there and anything else going on. So that that's heartening. We do have a couple other news items to discuss this week, and then we're going to try something a little bit different and answer a few. Yeah, we went on Twitter questions. and got some a lot of good, I have to say, they were good questions. A lot of good questions. We, we can keep this going. But first, let's talk about 
some of the awards news from the past week because the Gotham Awards happened on Monday and they really happened in real time. It wasn't just like a live stream that was pre-recorded with all these speeches. There, there was a live component to it. Yeah, yeah unfortunately. <laughs> I'm sorry. It, it, it's always been a very bare bones thing. And you get oh. to get you get to have the fun part in New York. Usually there's a party. That's the part that's the payoff. But, but you were part of some virtual table, which made it more fun for you. So yeah. that every once in a while, we'd see a little glimpse of you and people like Lisa Tayback on there. But but I was not. I was stuck with the Facebook feed, which was, you know, really pretty pathetic, honestly. Probably kind of clunky would be the word that I would use to describe it. I mean, I watched the live feed. What was fascinating about the Gotham's this year is usually what you do or what I have I've experienced is I, I go, I sit at my table and say hi to people. And then I wander, you know, because you have these long montage moments throughout the ceremony, especially with the special awards and so forth. And it can drag for a lot. It's a big fundraising event. It's not a show. No. And, and there is a, there, there's a green room. There's lots of New York industry people around, certainly some people who are on the Oscar campaign trail. And usually it's the first big film show uh, of the of the season. So there, there's plenty to sort of glean from being in that room and you couldn't do that this year but what they did by building this virtual table was they kind of they created the conditions so that you could still have kind of a viewing party for the gothams and that ended up being kind of fun i was i was seated quote unquote with a couple other journalists like mark harris and thomas laughley and a few others who were on nominating committees like i was and uh we had a little chat going so you kind of had to mute when the ceremony was happening but it did allow for this kind of interactive component that contributed to the sense of exclusivity and participation that makes that kind of experience unique. I also thought that it wasn't it wasn't the worst show. It was nice to see. Obviously, Nomadland winning seemed preordained, and I was on the committee that nominated it. But it was it, it seemed like that was probably going to happen. Then it won the audience prize as well. But there were a lot of nice moments throughout. The, but the thing about the Gotham Awards is that you you have um, very small groups of people like you, uh, you know, nominating and voting. So it, it doesn't mean anything except oh, that it just it tip. It, it's the same thing. If you win a, a Gotham, it might mean that more people read about it the next day and will look yeah. uh, up at the look someone like Miss um, Juneteenth. Uh, Nicole Bahari, you know, who won Best Actress. I still haven't seen that movie, but maybe I should. Um, yeah. And, you know, yeah. other people may feel the same way. Someone like uh, Riz Ahmed gave a great speech that popped and got covered and, you know, citing Irfan Khan and and how wobbly and uncertain times are and how we might want to dance together. It was lovely. It was absolutely, the Brits always, you know, they always write better than everyone else. You know, they're, they, they're, they're more educated or something. They just do. They always give well, good speeches. I, I also and, appreciated that it was sort of like, it, you have to embrace the ricketiness of it. Like even Riz Ahmed, yes, he finally found his, his speech, but he didn't totally realize like that he was sort of all by himself on camera when he won like that whole process. It was sort of like, it felt like almost like a dry run for this person as that's what these are, but that's exactly yeah. what these awards are for. They're, they're all trying out. 
their persona, their speeches. It's a, it's actually a run through. Uh, he was better than some of them. I mean, Rada Blank, uh, who 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 shared the screenplay prize uh, with the guy who wrote uh, what is it? Four. Fourteen. Fourteen. Miss Juneteenth. Yeah. Mi- yeah. Fourteen. The yeah. So, so she was great. She did a whole sort of "I'm so surprised" uh, routine, which was entertaining. Uh, I love that movie. You know, the word on the street on on that movie is very strong. It, it could be a surprise uh, screenplay contender. Well, certainly, Rada Blank was one of you know flashback to a year ago, one of the major breakouts of the Sundance Film Festival. Exactly. Here. And that was a movie that really benefited from the physical Sundance environment, from the way it was this crowd pleaser in the room to just having somebody like that kind of work the scene. And I think that momentum has has sustained that movie on some level. And of course, now it's on Netflix, which gives it incredible visibility for a movie like that. That, uh, no, but a lot, it has good word of mouth. And so you get the sense that more and more people are watching it. Uh, just to, to pull away from from the uh, Gothams for a second, it's it's interesting. I mean, just as Nomadland is about to go to Hulu, it's interesting that you get something like The King of Staten Island on, um, which is a universal movie from Jed Apatow um, that came out at the beginning of the pandemic that is now on HBO Max for whatever reason. Universal seems to be sending its films there instead of Peacock. And lots of people watched The King of Staten Island, including me, and it's really good. It is very hard to do a comedy like that, to write it and to have every bit of casting be so perfect. I was very taken with it. I, I, I enjoyed it to the extent that one can enjoy that movie and not get exhausted by questions of how much movie there is there. I mean, every Apatow movie seems to push the boundaries of how long uh, an endearing comedy about a man-child trying to put his life together should be. But I did appreciate with 40-year-old version that it was an explicit callback to 40-year-old version and also has the same kind of long running time that is, is sort of a Judd Apatow movie tends to have with a comedy, you know, this idea of like, we're going to give you so much comedy that, you, you know, you're, you're definitely going to feel like you got m- more than enough. And I do feel like with King of Staten Island, it does, it does push those boundaries a bit, but he's very good well, in it. Keith Davidson. For, for, well, it, it, for me, it was more about Bill Burr and, and uh, Belle Powley and Marissa Tomei. I mean, I was taken with all of them. It wasn't just about Pete Davidson. He yeah, wasn't carrying it for me. I would have liked a little bit more from those characters, in particular Marissa Tomei, who unfortunately often does seem saddled with these, especially on the studio front, with these supporting roles that could be a little bit meatier. But I mean, ultimately, that was designed as a showcase for for Pete Davidson. And um, I wonder if under more conventional circumstances, whether 2020 would have been a real turning point for him as as a movie actor, um, had that movie, you know, ended up having a big kind of commercial theatrical life, which obviously it didn't have. Right. It's an interesting question. Well, let's move on, because the other thing we should talk about is uh, some Oscar news because we still don't know everything that's going to sort of impact the buzz with awards season because qualification windows have not closed yet. But we did get some Oscar winners with the special uh, special Oscar uh, prizes that are being given out to for the first time, honorary Oscars. So what did you make of this? The fact that we've got um, two 
special Oscars going out this year as opposed to one? Okay, so usually we have the Governor's Awards and the Governor's Awards is something where they broke away some of these honorary Oscars and took them off of the big Oscar cast. You know, back in the day, you'd have someone like Stanley Donan doing a tap dance while he accepted his honorary Oscar, you know, that kind of thing. So now that it, and what they've turned it into is this big party and all the Oscar contenders show up in one place at one time. Well, guess what? That's not happening this year. So uh, they're just taking two of them and putting them uh, into the Oscar show. And they're giving Tyler Perry the Gene Hirschold Humanitarian Award, which is he's really worked hard to help people who are homeless, to help to build a studio, to employ people, to to uh, help people uh, who are affected by the pandemic. And so he has a lot of charity stuff going on and that makes perfect sense. And then the other one is going to the Motion Picture Fund, which has just stepped up beyond the call to support a lot of people who are uh, in need during this pandemic year. And they've never given one to an organization before. And it's very much the Academy's own universe. And it makes sense that they would make an exception this year and do that. I think the Tyler Perry one is, is interesting too, because Tyler, Perry, I mean, obviously Tyler Perry is not gunning for any, to win any Oscars anytime soon. I mean, that's sort of, I remember when for colored girls. It's unlikely. He could do a supporting role in some sure. movie where he I mean, there knocks was some it talk out of the park. That. Yeah. yeah, there was some yeah. talk about that around Veep. But I remember when for colored girls came out, there was like a brief moment where people were like, could this be his moment? And then you saw the movie and you're like, no, he doesn't make those kinds of movies. But what's what's fascinating about Tyler Perry is that he seems to have sort of made peace with that question and sort of gone all in in terms of using the scale of his brand and the incredible amount of money that he's in. He's a billionaire now to basically create an, a side of the industry that was just not there before. I mean, the, his his presence in Atlanta is staggering. You know, he hosted a, a presidential debate there. He, he flew into Atlanta to vote, I noticed, because he didn't right. have some ballot in time. But, but he, he, he has, I think, found a way to win people over, even if the work itself is not always for them. And I think that's that's commendable in its own right, because he's he's still contributing to. Let's uh, say that he exemplifies someone who gives back. Yeah, exactly. I think all of this also feeds into this broader question we've looked at over the month, last few months, which is what role the Oscars plays from sort of almost like a charity standpoint. I mean, we knew, you know, by last summer even, that whenever the Oscars would happen, the industry would be in this terrible place and 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 struggling to recover on every level. And, um, you know, people are fortunate to still be working, but we are still very much in a pandemic and it's going to take a long time to undo a lot of the damage that's been done. So I do wonder, you know, is this the first step in seeing how the Oscars are stepping up this year to sort of be that kind of an event, to be the night of... Well, they have no choice. I think they're going to have to respond. First of all, all those questions about whether it's going to be live or not. I mean, this is one of the questions that people are asking us um, uh, on Twitter today. Uh, you know, what what are we expecting to see, you know, at the Oscars this year? And And I'm seeing definitely not a live event. I'm seeing, and I don't think they're going to move it. I don't think they're going to change anything. They're stuck. They're in. It's all going forward as it is. And there is an entire ecosystem that has been proceeding forward. There are going to be SAG Awards. There are going to be Golden Globe Awards. There's going to be Critics' Choice Awards. All these things are, and the guilds, the usual um, 
running tally is is going to take place. But the event itself, that is going to be interesting. Is there a host? Is there going to be um, some kind of understanding of, of a fundraiser? Yeah. Some kind of a sense of giving back to the to help the theaters that are I mean, because that's what the Oscars are. They're an advertisement for movie going. So they're going to be they're going to be bound to address that. And my guess is just as Tom Hanks is stepping up to help with the inauguration festivities, I think there will be major movie stars all over our industry more than happy to step up for the Oscars this year. First of all, they've been sitting at home doing nothing for a while anyway, right. and they might as well. This is and and maybe they don't have to show up to the red carpet and do anything live. They can do it from their homes. Well, it sure does make that usual question about the Oscars. How do you get more people to tune into them seem kind of small, but that's still part of the question, right? They've got that contract with ABC. So people, they're going to want people to tune into this thing. And that's the titles. The titles are not friendly in that way. Right. Right. On I the mean, one hand, have, you've yeah. seen them on, on you they're they've been widely streamed. <laughs> But on the other, uh, you know, uh, what is the awareness and what is the the pull for for titles? I mean, Soul is a big title, maybe, or um, Wonder Woman. <laughs> I don't know. Chicago what Seven, really... maybe on some level, maybe Borat on some level, but not maybe Tenet on some yeah. level. But they're not the big Best Picture contenders, you know. Right. So then, Chicago the... Seven is the probably the the most watched Oscar contender in the running. Right. Unfortunately, Mank doesn't seem to have risen to that level, though there's still time because it's on the same service. So who knows? But it, it the Netflix people are doing a great job of promoting yeah. everything. And yeah. of course, on Friday, they introduced Malcolm and Marie, which is their latest one that they picked up uh, that was made during the pandemic by San Levinson of Euphoria fame. And uh, John David Robertson, I mean, listen to me, Washington, Calvary. otherwise known as JD and Zendaya, otherwise known as Z, uh, are the stars of this. And it's a really fun Cassavetes inspired black and white two-hander. Did you get to watch? I did get a chance to see it. And uh, I think it's going to be fascinating to see, of all the Netflix films, whether or not this one crosses over, because those are very charismatic actors and it's a gorgeous movie but its subject matter is so it, it feels like it was made in the indywire universe and not only because our site gets a, a shout out in it because it's got this uh you know this self-absorbed filmmaker type who wants to hit it big and he's obsessed with a, a review he, he's waiting on and I, I just think it's fascinating to think about that being something that a, a mass audience could tune into but certainly those performances are what drive that thing along and they, they really go at it, you know, the whole way through. It's, I it's think a good that's going to do well on Netflix. I think those performers are, 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 are good, a good lure. Um, and um, I don't know. I think it's a, it's actually a relationship movie um, as well as a showbiz tale and showbiz tales do well. They, they do well with the Academy. So we'll see. We'll yeah. see how they do. Question. The critics, what you're sort of saying too, is how are the critics going to respond to it? Because the initial response was pretty good, but uh, often the more sober light of day response can be a little tougher. You got to pay attention to the tweets versus the reviews because the timeline exactly. does not put those two things in the same place. And I think it might be a little bit more mixed, but I do think also it's it's a movie that people will be kind to, especially because it's taking some swings at being cinematic and, you know, it's a contrast to say a Chicago seven that's a little bit more 
you know, it's a little more square, a little more familiar. And this is something a little risky. It's very hip. You're right about that. The other, I loved it. I, I really thought it was a good, a, a, they did a good job. The person who breaks out of it as good as Washington is, is Zendaya. And I think she could challenge Viola for best actress. And, and that's going to be interesting. <laughs> Netflix has created their own competition there. Uh, it was in for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Happening. I mean, Ma Rainey had a great moment at the Gothams too, obviously, because they gave Viola Davis special award and this really emotional uh, posthumous award to Chadwick Boseman delivered by a speech from his widow, which was very emotional. And uh, it seems like those two are still very much. They're very much at the front of the pack in both of their categories. Ma Rainey's doing very well. Indeed, indeed. So let's take some questions because I think one of the things that I've always appreciated about this podcast, I know you do too, is knowing that there are people out there who are kind of following the kind of, you know, arbitrary nature of our conversations and the the ever-changing environment that we work in and and they have their own things that they want to know. We kind of assume that we know what the conversations are worth having each week. So it's nice to hear from people and see what they want to know. So why don't we go through a few of these? I'm going to start with this question from Cordia Covens. I don't know if that's this person's real name or if I butchered it or whatever, but that's Twitter for you. So this question is, how will the current situation with impeachment and Biden taking over, thank God, influence the coming Oscar season? And what movies might benefit from this? Is it Judas and the Black Messiah, Chicago 7, or titles that we haven't heard about yet? I think this is a great question because, I mean, by the time we get into Sundance next week, Biden will have been inaugurated. There will be this, hopefully, a sense of, you know, new possibility. We're coming out of election season as opposed to going into one. So I wonder uh, if that is an important consideration. Certainly, it seems like with Sasha Baron Cohen who has been at the forefront of trying to raise the standards of social media platforms. And now, you know, Trump has been booted from all of them. It seems to play into his favor, both for Chicago 7 and for Borat, for different kinds of reasons. Judas and the Black Messiah, we'll see. Certainly that's a topical movie dealing with the Black Panthers and Fred Hampton and so forth. But that's going to come. I think that will mainly be a vehicle for Daniel Kaluuya and a good one, a strong one. He's very, very good in the movie. And I think he could get sneak into that supporting actor category. Uh, part of what's going on in that category is that as good as the trial of the Chicago 7 and One Night in Miami are, you have a lot of people vying from the same movie for the same slots. And I will predict that it will be Sasha Baron Cohen that will emerge uh, with a nomination along with um, Leslie Odom Jr. And there could be room for someone coming in from another movie. And and that could knock out some of the other players from those right. two films. Right. And so, but well, what I was going to say is that the Academy is always liberal leaning, always very subject to the zeitgeist, and the zeitgeist is very prevailing. Um, so these serious political movies. I mean, the thing that I want to say about the Trial of the Chicago Seven that is going which is to its advantage. I, I did this interview with Aaron Sorkin where, where I said, um, I just went on about how much fun the movie was. And I think he was a, a slightly put off by that, you know, is like, it's not just fun, you know, kind of thing. He, he handled it 
Well, he should know better because most Sorkin movies are trying to be fun. That's kind of the key. He knows how to do that. And that is a hard thing to do. So does your, your, so does Sasha Baron Cohen. My guy. So so the, your guy. Yeah. So I would suggest to you that the Academy knows this too, that they know the difference between an entertaining political smart movie and a dull uh, and earnest one. Yeah. We've been down. That's the problem. I mean, the last four years. The last four years, we've seen this happen. We remember when the Post was a, was a late uh, admittance to award season, and that got punished for being rushed. That got was, punished for was, not being fully. It got less nominations. Certainly, it was in the conversation, but it was something where it almost felt like, well, did you need to to get that out there right when you got it out there? It's an old story, and the whole fake news complaint that was coming out of the terrible administration we've been dealing with was not going anywhere either. So. It is an interesting question. Sometimes it goes too far. But uh, I remember when, when Spike Lee won for uh, Black Klansman, you know, his call to arms about the, the midterm elections. Well, that was just a great moment because he had spent all season railing against Agent Orange. And that really played into his favor to have him have a reason well, to keep doing that. So Spike Lee tonight is going to be getting the AFI award and however that's going to play in the, in the universe of the, of the Academy, we'll see. But, but I think that Da Five Bloods is not out of the picture. It is a movie of scale and scope and seriousness that is also um, timely. So I think, I think that all of the, the, the films that are both entertaining and timely will resonate and will have uh, an advantage. So we got a question from Pedro Paulo Araujo uh, asking about foreign language submissions and predictions. And I bring that one up because we got a few different variations of this question. Yeah, people are curious about that category. People really want to know that. Because it, it trying is to catch a, up. There's so many. I mean, you can look at Wikipedia at all, all the submissions. Some of these films we've been talking about all year long, even since 2019. And some of them nobody's heard of before. So you can also look at my Oscar predictions page for the best international feature. You don't have to go to Wikipedia. That might, that (laughs) might help whittle it down a bit too, because your list gives people. I actually pick what the top 10 will be, uh, but I haven't seen all of them, you know, enough yet. Uh, There's a lot. And, um, I know you and I have both been sampling them and there's way, way, way more, uh, to come last night. Um, I watched an, a movie whose title I'm going to have. You, you go first while I look up the title of this movie so that I don't butcher it. You go ahead. Well, I, I want to give a shout out to a movie that uh, I saw out of the Locarno Film Festival in 2019, which is the Portuguese submission, Vitalina Varela. It's Pedro Costa's new film. Pedro Costa, obviously one of the great Portuguese filmmakers working and also a very consistent kind of vision of the despair and poverty experienced by this immigrant community called Fontanus. And through his films over the years, he dug deeper into that world. And he found this woman in his last film, Horse Money, uh, named Vitalina Varela, who had left Portugal, came back when her husband died, and sort of confronts her past life with him and how it fell apart. And he, he makes this amazing kind of doc narrative hybrid out of her confronting that community haunted by the past it's a beautiful tone poem every shot is like a it's like a great painting and uh, i really hope that however it goes down with the academy sort of going through its options here in terms of what it's submitting for the shortlist that they give this movie a shot because if it gets on there i think more people will will give it time 
And it's a movie that benefits from a, a big screen. It's not a movie so, that would necessarily get noticed otherwise. So, what so what's think? going on is that people like you and people like me are, are, are checking in with others and we're all giving each other tips on what, what are some of the good ones. The one I saw last night was Preparations to Be Together for an Unknown Period of Time, which is the Hungarian uh, entry, which I really liked. Um, I highly recommend it. And uh, um, whether or not that's going to be one of the big the big contenders. Uh, I know that the mole agent, which you love, has been playing very well. Uh, people have been talking about that. Right. And that's a Apple is very good. That's the Greek entry. Uh, one of the new weird Greek cinema. I'm shocked and surprised, Eric, that you haven't seen that one already. Well, that was at a, Toronto. A fan and I heard, of Yorgos Lanthimos. Oh, yeah. No, I heard, I heard great stuff about it. And, and it was just, it was in Toronto and I couldn't get around. So this is one reason why the Oscars are actually really valuable in the sense that it forces you to fill in certain gaps so you can keep up with the conversation so we'll see how it goes with that one i also recommend eterno which is one of the documentaries that's eterno. been uh entered along with collective yeah collective i would say is another one where it's like that could be a honeyland type of situation nominated right categories so it's interesting because honeyland was really the first documentary to be submitted and, and entered finally as a nominee for best international feature now there a lot of them are doing it um another round is picking up steam everybody is enjoying that the the thomas fincherberg starring mads mickelson that's just as an, an alcoholic <laughs> dancer he's only a dancer at the very end but it but it's sort of a, one of the higher profile ones i would say it seems like that's, that's the mo the most and then, and then Charlatan, the Agnieszka Holland is very good, which we saw in Berlin. And Hope is a very good movie um, from Norway with Stellan Skarsgård. Um, and I, uh, it's, a, it's a family drama based on a true story from the director herself. And I, I really, really liked it. And you're a fan, as I am, of the Mexican film, I'm No Longer Here. From Fernando yeah, Frias. which has Guillermo del Toro behind it. So and and obviously and Alfonso Cuarón. Yeah, so yeah. That, that one's got got some traction. Anything else? Well, I, I I'm sure we're forgetting something, but it, that's sort of what's amazing is that there's such a wide array of possibilities right now, and ultimately some somebody's going to get snubbed when that shortlist gets out there. We don't probably one of the films that you just mentioned. In fact, I mean, there's not an well. Part of what's going on too is that is that the individual uh, members are not only looking at whatever they feel like looking at, but they've got about twelve movies that they're assigned to see that they have to see. The documentary branch has a similar system. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, a lot of the obscure titles that no one wants to see or that everyone has been told are boring won't get watched. So another question here. We have we have one from Mike, Mike, and Oscar, and uh, at MM and Oscar asking uh, about an Oscar ceiling slash upside for potential late breaking contenders, Malcolm and Marie, Judas and the Black Messiah. We've talked about these films a bit already, but I think it's a, a interesting question because- What does he you know, mean, ceiling? Let, let's say that you have only three, four weeks to be an Oscar contender, as opposed to say Nomadland, which has been out there since September. At least but it hasn't time. been widely seen because it hasn't, it hasn't been, been uh, available. But it, but it is a, it is worth looking at this because even so, there's been visibility. People have been talking about Nomadland. If you're a Judas and because the of the festivals, Messiah, yeah, yeah you're a Judas and Black Messiah. On, really, only has a couple weeks to establish itself on HBO Max. Though it'll be on HBO Max. So along that, with the little things, the Denzel Washington movie. That does figure into this on some levels that something that compensates for the 
lack of time that some of these films have to get noticed is is that they might be more visible than usual because they're they're all over the place. Okay, so the the there's tricky factors there. Like Clint Eastwood has always been um, famous for bringing his movies in at the last minute, and then they haven't necessarily been widely seen by the public. Sometimes when they open at the end of December, the beginning of January, and then go into the Oscars, they 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 they. But usually, you have to have a movie star. You have to have some established title in order for that to become a must-see instantly by everyone in order to make it an Academy contender. So the ones to worry about, I would say Judas and the Black Messiah would be iffier in the sense that Daniel Kaluuya isn't the same level of name that a Denzel Washington is. People are gonna look at the Denzel Washington movie because he's Denzel Washington. But they, and, and Malcolm and Marie, it has the Netflix buzz around it. Um, I would say the one to worry, someone, something like Cherry coming from Apple with the Russo brothers and Tom Holland. It's a question also of how the critics respond because yeah. none of these have had festival launches. Right. You, have to, you still have to stuff things into a shorter period of time, but then they could also make a lot of noise because the latecomers for the most part have a lot of resources behind them. So. And so they also missed the critics awards, which, which, happened already and except they'll they'll be eligible for the later ones but it's still going to be harder to get into sag which is voting now yeah to get into golden globes it's even malcolm and marie is going to have a tough time registering with those apologies apologies a busy time well let's squeeze in one last question to end on because i think this is kind of a fun role-playing one and it comes from at boomer night who's asking if you ran the oscars how would you produce a socially distant yet entertaining show. I'll tell you what I would do. I always like when the Oscars brings quote unquote real people in or does some sort of stunt thing that goes beyond the constraints of where the event takes place. Like when the, they ordered a pizza and the pizza man came out on stage or when the, the camera followed the host into a movie theater across the street or whatever. Now you got people at home. I would love to see like hosts randomly calling somebody who's watching the Oscars and like somebody who's watching the show suddenly realizing that they're on TV for millions of people. Like that kind of holistic approach to make- As long as it doesn't play like the uh, Gothams. (laughs) No, I'm telling you, you could do it like the Gothams, but much better. That's basically what I'm pitching. No, I I, I think it's making it democratic. They'll, they'll they'll figure out how to do it in a smooth and and uh, serene kind of way, but it'll be interesting to see how they, they'll have to have the Emmys did it okay. The yeah, Emmy, it I fun. loved it when those Canadians uh, for Schitt's Creek were having a big party. Yeah, they also <laughs> in Canada. Creek, those people knew they were going to win ten thousand <laughs> awards, so they could like justify throwing a giant socially distant party. I, I don't think it was bankrolled by the Emmys, but we'll see if anybody pulls that off this year. So next week, I guess we'll be looking ahead to Sundance. We can trade some notes from the inauguration, which God, God willing, will we'll bring the country in the right direction. And uh, we can give some people- so We have a couple tips. of questions about Sundance. So I think we should definitely, we'll address those next week. Yes, we'll we'll, we'll have a better idea of, of what the hot titles might be. Hold on to your tweets, folks. All right, I'll see you then, and bye. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.